Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50,000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. Hello, friends. Laura McKinney here, your co-host for the Real Leaders podcast. I am so happy you're here tuning in today. And as always, you are in for a treat. Got some amazing pearls of wisdom coming your way, so make sure to share and review after you take a listen. Let's do this. And we are live. All right. Awesome. Well, everybody, as you are trickling in and watching this LinkedIn Live, I am here with Ibrahim Al-Husseini, the founding and managing partner of Full Cycle. And I am really excited to have you on today because we have a lot of topics to cover. I have loved reading and learning about you, prepping for this interview. I think you are a fascinating human being, and I'm excited for our audience to get to know you a bit more. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Of course. And to start off, to give our audience a little bit of context of who I'm talking to and who you are, um, tell us what Full Cycle is. So um, Full Cycle is a climate fund. We developed this interesting strategy that takes into account the fact that warming begets warming, meaning that the warmer it gets, uh, the warmer it'll get the following year because it builds on itself. So we designed a thesis that allows us to front load the impact of the climate dollars that we aggregate such that we can slow down the warming process and buy ourselves some time as a civilization to get out of this mess. So it's a brand new thesis and uh, investment model that we developed strictly for this unique problem that we're facing. Very nice. And, you know, I know that Full Cycle, you know, you invest in those companies that demonstrate a certain level of, of impact, um, of meaning and all of that, that, but especially when it comes to climate change and the planet, you know, how yeah. do you, how do you gauge really um, or measure the impact of the companies you choose to work with? Great question. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's so impact is a spectrum, right? Like there's I've been right. presented with opportunities that are 
so uh, limited on their impact, it's not even fair to consider them impactful, but we leave those aside. So let's say the impact spectrum is as such. There is companies that are doing less harm. Okay. And unfortunately, we still haven't upgraded the nuanced understanding of these is issues and we call doing less harm, doing good. It's not doing good, it's just doing less harm, which we appreciate and we will take it. Uh, my analogy around that is if your house is on fire and you were operating a blowtorch and you down, or a flamethrower and you downgraded to a blowtorch, it's helpful, but not ideal. Mm. So that's doing less harm. Then we have uh, companies, funds that actually invest and do good, which is, again, we, we are so grateful for those companies and funds that go ahead and do that. With climate change, you need to do stress prioritized and strategic good, not just general haphazard good. Because like I mentioned earlier, warming builds on itself. Yeah. So a dollar invested today has to have the maximum climate impact in uh, per, uh, per dollar invested versus one that could have been invested literally 75 years from now. And with full cycle, what we do is we actually prioritize which companies and which technologies we invest in based on two criteria. Number one is that they're market ready, meaning that their technology isn't an idea. Mm. It is not young. It is not yet proven. So it already has gone through lab scale. It's gone through demonstration scale. It's been operating for long enough such that our job is to accelerate its rollout globally as fast as possible. Why? Because climate change is uh, actually uh, interestingly uh, infrastructure level, industrial level type of problem, hmm. as bad as a plastic straw is, minimizing our use of plastic straws isn't going to save us. It's these big systemic pieces of our economy, the transportation system, energy yeah. system, food, waste, water systems that we invested. So we invest in. So we identify these technologies and we make sure that they are ready for rollout because it's like, think of it this way. If it's an early stage technology, if the house is already on fire, going back to that analogy, mm -hmm. it's a little too late to invent firefighting technology. Now, right. there are areas that require us to find new innovation, in, but they make up about 20% of climate tech. 80% has already been invented and ready for global expeditious rollout. And that's the role that we play. And how do we prioritize them? Literally down to the molecule, the mm -hmm. greenhouse molecule that they abate. Wow. Because one, yeah, I, I'm going to say one more thing about it. And I know the, the and then I'll hand the mic back to you. No, Most people don't realize, Laura, that as much as we hear about CO2 emissions, uh, CO2 is the most abundant and longest lingering greenhouse gas, but it's also the weakest greenhouse gas. Hmm. So um, the other greenhouse gases that we don't hear as often about, like methane and nitrous oxide and refrigerants, those are hundreds, sometimes thousands of times more heat trapping than CO2. And even though they make up 1% of atmospheric greenhouse gases, they actually are responsible for about 46% of the warming. Wow. So think about it, per dollar invested, if we're addressing that 1%, we are getting almost 50% warming abatement capacity with 1% of the needed dollars invested. So wow. we get to so maximize what's called climate return on investment by focusing there. Wow. So you, I mean, you dive in deep 
like the nitty gritty to to really pinpoint who you're working with um, down to the actual molecules. How do you how do you find that? Do you have a team of people who research that type of science or how does that work? Well, two things I want to say. So first of all, we are not just like another group of people who are investment professionals who are jumping yeah. on like climate bandwagon right. because people now want to invest in it. We actually got into the space because we care about this space. Yeah. You know, I'm a serial entrepreneur with several exits behind me. I've been a technology investor for decades. Mm -hmm. I became a climate investor before any of the nomenclature around this space was even invented, literally back all the way to 2001. And wow. that's because I was a scuba diver. Ah, so, okay. so when you're a scuba diver, you actually see the degradation in the quality of the ecosystems, the biological ecosystems firsthand, because mm -hmm. the problem was so much more visible underneath the surface of the water before we started noticing it now wow. above the surface of the water. So over a decade, I went back to the same spot over and over again, and yeah. it went from being lush and full of life to completely barren and full of plastic in a decade. Mm, wow. So, yeah. So this is a sincere effort from us. We're not just a run-of-the-mill run no. uh, fund that's just trying, again, to capitalize on a trend. And to yeah. answer your question directly, we have an extraordinary team, all equally passionate in their own journey to care enough about this that they've sorted through 900 technologies and oh we've identified God. five. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's that's impressive. And, you know, when I was reading about you and, and Full Cycle, something that stuck out to me is that you invest in technologies that are six continent solutions. Can you right. explain what that means? Yes. Um, so again, climate change is not is a global issue, right? We live in a closed sphere in the middle of space. The emissions coming out of any part of the world is going to affect every part of the world. We are now, never before have we gotten present to the butterfly effect than we have vis-a-vis -vis this existential issue of climate change. Yeah. So, you know, investing in technologies that are are commercially viable, meaning that they're economically, they, mm -hmm. they pencil out economically for places like Berlin and San Francisco, very rich cities. I consider those vanity projects because those are not a solution. Those are their for you know like for a city to feel good for a mayor to get elected we pick technologies that work that pencil out economically for every area of the world so they're as much a solution for jakarta and in indonesia cairo in egypt mumbai in india as well as berlin and san francisco mm. so, so you're that's at, what yeah. by a six continent solution it works everywhere it is yeah. designed it is chosen it is backed it makes yeah. it through our very strict processes, you know, to graduate to being a solution that will replace its 19th century or 20th century polluting counterpart mm. that we are trying to get rid of. And our job is to identify these technologies and make sure they do that replacement exercise as fast mm -hmm. as possible. That is our job. I see. Okay. Very good. And, you know, I... I'm curious, and it's a two-part question. The first part is, what is maybe your your heaviest or most pressing worry, you know, in this space and when it comes to climate change? And the second part, I'll get to in a minute, but the first, I want to ask that part. 
So the biggest issue is the friction in the system. What does that mean? Yeah. So the friction in the system is, you know, money, you know, the whether like these pools of capital have a lot of people who feed off of them. There's a whole financial system that's designed to make its living off of this capital. So there, you know, everybody in the system has to justify their paycheck within it. So nobody, literally nobody we've encountered prioritizes the fact that we have this existential threat that we have to address, where if we don't address it, money and capital become a lot less significant as part of our life in the first place, which was my original wake-up call, which is what's the point of me continuing to accumulate wealth on a planet that's literally dying? That seems like an exercise in futility. I think Mm -hmm. Steve Jobs said it best where he said, I don't want to be the richest man in the cemetery. The, <laughs> yeah. but, um, but so this ecosystem is made up of a lot of people who um, whose number one job is, guess what? Not to get fired. Hmm. Yeah. And number yeah. two job is to maximize their bonus. And if they can accomplish one or two, then they're happy to do it by doing something actually good. Right. But fundamentally, they are friction. Because they have to, their number one priority is to to uh, continue with the same system that have been placed around money management, wealth management, asset allocation for probably over a century or two. Yeah. And the the purposes of those, let's say, the checklist that exists in the system is to grow or maintain wealth and minimize risk. It's not to solve global existential problems. So we still haven't upgraded uh, the systems that allocate capital such that we prioritize something that without fixing makes every asset class suffer because the economy exists because we have lived and built human civilization in a very stable climate period uh, called the Holocene. It's 12,000 years where climate, literally temperatures have not exceeded one degree up or down Celsius the entire time. Wow. And in just the last 150 years, we've already gotten to 1.2 degrees. And we're on the best case scenario right now, unfortunately, is 2.3 degrees by the end of the century. So wow. the that's why we've changed the name of this current age that we're in to the Anthropocene, meaning the age of humans, because we are now the biggest transformative force <laughs> in this little closed sphere that are in, in the middle of space. So that's yeah. number one. That is the biggest issue is okay. asset allocation. Okay. Yeah. So that's the biggest issue. My second part of that question is, what are you most hopeful for in this space? Or what are you optimistic about with the work that you're doing and the people and your peers who are in this space as well? Like, what are you most optimistic about in the climate change space? I mean, the fact that the awareness behind it is like everywhere. I mean, unfortunately, you know, as you know, human beings have a bad habit of, of only changing once the pain of change outweighs the pain of staying the same. And now that pain has reached us. I mean, nobody I know is arguing 
about whether climate change is real anymore. Some are trying to push off whether it's man-made, some are trying to pretend that there's nothing we can do about it. All of the pushback is no longer around climate denial. Even the companies that have been funding climate denial to make sure that their business model continues for decades to come, they're the biggest investors in climate technology now. They're literally pivoting to the new climate energy systems yeah. behind the scenes while knowing for decades they've been the ones that are funding the climate denial piece to begin with. So of course it's hopeful that even as sinister as what I just said has been, it still gives me hope yeah. to know that you know we're all now uh, are walking into the future with eyes a little bit more wide open. We're still squinting, yeah. but they're, <laughs> we're seeing through our eyelashes. Yeah. In the past, it's been like, hear no evil, speak no evil, see right. no evil. So we're now past that, which is great. Yeah. And, you know, in that vein, climate change, like you said, it's very widely talked about now. You'll see it on news headlines almost every day in some capacity. And I think for a lot of people, they're just like, you know, the average person, if they came to you and were like, Ibrahim, like, what can I do? Like, I'm one person. Like, what, like, do I even matter in this space? You know, can I matter in this space? Can I make a difference? Like, what would you say to those people who, you know, they're like, I, I, I'm just one person. You know, what, what can I do? Yeah, well, for, uh, one thing you can do, and thank you for asking this question, and every single one of us matters. It Literally, this problem is so big that it's yeah. going to take all of us doing everything. There is no one silver bullet. So anything that anybody decides to do is yeah. going to be helpful to themselves. Their own personal integrity, knowing that they're part of the solution, not the problem, is also allows us to sleep better at night and feel good about everything we do. So give yourself that gift and live with that level of integrity. Mm -hmm. But from a pragmatic standpoint, you can eat beef uh, you know, twice a week instead of twice a day, for mm -hmm. example. Is beef is a huge emitter of methane, which is 86 times more heat trapping than CO2 over the first 20 years. So, you know, the if even if you just skip eating meat and dairy one day a week, if we did meatless Mondays in America, our methane emissions would drop something like 41%, which would be massive. Wow. That would yeah. be massive. Um, take less flights. I, I always like, we're on Zoom right now. I was just at a meeting at the global uh, Clinton Global Initiative earlier. Mm -hmm. And I said, one of the biggest contributors, the biggest uh, contributors in a positive way to the problem of climate change is Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, taking one flight from LA to London is equivalent uh, of going vegan for six years. Jeez. Wow. So imagine how much less emissions from transportation hmm. are spewing into our atmosphere because we're able to have this conversation electronically and, you know, the and get probably 95 percent efficacy from it where this, you know, where mm -hmm. in the past we've had to travel so much more. So I love that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm. I want to know or dive a little bit deeper into you and like why you do this type of work personally. Um, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, but what has been your journey to full cycle and why do you get up every day and are amped up to do this? Gosh, I mean, that's such a personal uh, question. I'm happy to get into it because we all yeah. have a unique life journey, right? So yeah. whatever, whatever we encounter at different stages in our lives, open up our eyes and mind in different ways. Like for me, it was a sequence of things mostly to do with art and music. Okay. You know, so 
if anybody if anybody uh, says the quote something like what's you know the art is art's going to save the world in fact it's the only thing that can perhaps that's true because in my experience i remember when i was a kid and you know walked into the living room and saw the newscast about freddie mercury passing away from complications from aids and i remember the newscaster which is an american newscaster and i'm watching like literally american broadcast television yeah. in the middle east saying that this was some sort of punishment for a, a homosexual lifestyle and i was thinking i love freddie mercury i know i'm yeah. eight years old and i don't know what any of this stuff yeah. means but what he just said is wrong mm -hmm. so i remember thinking in that moment critical thinking became important to me because taking a adult narrative at face value was no longer available to me. Mm -hmm. I remember when the religious teacher said, hey, today we're going to talk about the good Muslim woman and the bad Muslim woman and the bad Muslim woman, what he was describing was my mother, like mm -hmm. a woman who doesn't cover her hair, who drinks occasionally, who fraternizes with men who she's not married or related to. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's that's how we live. What are you talking about? If you're going to tell, if you're going to pick between religion and my mother, I'm going to pick my mother. Yeah. So like, so a thousand and one little things that happened to me, you know, including listening to Tracy Chapman's first album where the lyrics for like this 12 year old boy were like, you know, why do the babies starve when there's enough food to feed the world? Why is a missile called a peacekeeper when it's aimed to kill? Why is a woman still not safe when she's in her home? I'm like, a woman is still not safe when she's in her home. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. So all of these little like micro explosions inside this little boy's head allowed him to see the world a little bit more connected where instead of it being so narrow and so linear it had a much broader scope so there this idea that something is happening in isolation was no longer part of my reality so i can naturally because of my unique trajectory extrapolate you know, the, one problem's ability to impact infinite amounts of outcomes. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think is the most honest answer to the question. Why this is yeah. because, you know, at, like one once I encountered the degradation and the quality of marine life because of the immense toxicity from modern human civilization and how we treat the natural world, my mind linked all as many, I guess, of the ripples from that as possible. And I realized we cannot continue this way because the even if it even if it doesn't affect me in my lifetime, I cannot be a participant in a system that throws a big party and leaves future generations to clean up afterwards. Yeah. You know, and that doesn't even take into account every other creature that also is going to go extinct because of our activity. What did they do? What did the hummingbird or whale or manatee or cheetah do? Nothing. They just were living their life. They've they've been evolved for billions of years, just like you and I, and they have a right to live in and exist and thrive as much as we do. Right. We don't right. even think of or talk about them. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's such a unique skill to a leader to be able to marry empathy and critical thinking. And I think that's exactly what you just explained. And I mean, it's clear as day that what that tactic of empathy, critical thinking and everything you explained has aided in your your success. So, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's incredible. I think a lot of people will listening will take a lot from that. And, you know, I also wondered, too, 
throughout all your years of, you know, being observant in this space, being a constant learner and also a teacher in what you do in a way, you know, has there been a, a piece of advice or something that someone told you at a certain point that you received that stuck with you um, and that you think may have contributed to some of your success or something, maybe a mantra that replays in your head um, over and over that you may have heard throughout your years? So one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite, it's actually a verse in the Quran. Mm -hmm. uh, one of, it, it, the translation of it is, uh, don't curse something lest it, lest it prove to be a gift. Mm. So the reason why that's so valuable is because First of all, if you think about it, if we look back at our life, how many examples do we have about something that we, that, you know, like stopped us in our tracks because it seemed so worrisome and so problematic. And when we look back, we reflect on it as having been a blessing. Right. So, you know, so when you see the world through that lens, you can stay calm and actually uh, active instead of reactive to things. And that allows us to navigate all the ups and downs of life and business and health and relationship and everything else with so much more ease and intention. So mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to say that's my favorite quote. And I do apologize. You know, the originally I, I didn't realize it was a verse in the Quran. I was mentioning it in the past yeah. as if it was uh like a saying, but it oh, turned okay. out in the Quran and a lot of people were upset at me. So oh, I apologize yeah. for anybody right. I might have offended by saying that. Yeah, no, very good. I think it's, I mean, that's very valuable, very valuable advice all around. And like you said, applicable in more things than just business. It can be personal relationships, just any way that we communicate with people. I think it's, it's really beautiful. Um, you know, I, we ask everybody this that comes on our LinkedIn lives, our podcasts, and it's the essence of who we are at real leaders. And we want to ask you, what is your definition of a real leader? Gosh, so a real leader, uh, I believe is somebody who asks themselves really hard questions, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, like, like why are you doing this to begin with? Like, is this something that you're, is this a chip on your shoulder? Are you just trying to prove to one of your parents that you're not a loser like they called you? Is this mm -hmm. like all of these things that like, dr quote unquote, drive us. These mm -hmm. are, you know, these are questions that we really have to be honest with ourselves about. Like, what is the motivation behind this? Because it seeps through. Yeah. Like if it's not an authentic passion for something even if you're even if your whole intention is literally just to make money like being honest with yourself and with the world going okay this is not going to be anything redeeming but i've always wanted to be a very wealthy person and i'm going to go ahead and do this at least be honest about it it will be that is a form of leadership everybody can rally behind truth and every time there's a pink elephant in the room we are all exhausted hmm. so so if that's if it's just money, great. If it's purposeful, then then get in relation to the purpose of which you're being driven, such that you can identify that purpose authentically and not pretend it's about this purpose when it's really about some 
other issue that you're trying to reconcile through this exercise or through this relationship because ignoring has energy Mm. so like energy is being expended on ignoring Mm. something and locking it up and pretending it's not there and if you really look we all feel it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so real leaders are ones who ask themselves the hard questions yeah. And are willing to reconcile within themselves what's true and share it authentically, humbly, yes. and you know, and with humanity and vulnerability with their teams, so we can have an atmosphere that is open and trusting and work together towards whatever the intended outcomes are of our enterprise. Wow. Ignoring has energy. I love that. What a good takeaway. I mean, Ibrahim, thank you so much for coming on the Real Leaders LinkedIn Live today in our podcast. This has been a true pleasure and and an honor, honestly, to get to speak to you and, and pick your brain. I think you're one of the brightest brains out there. So it really meant a lot to us to have you on. So we appreciate it. Thank you, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity. All right, there you have it, everybody. And remember to keep it real. Hey, Real Leaders, thank you again for taking your valuable time to listen today. If you just can't get enough, make sure to check out our magazine. And if you go online to realleaders.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you'll be able to access all of our magazines, courses, and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to real-leaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. That's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and as always, keep it real.